that poem that Chris read early on admit something? If any of you follow me on Facebook, which you're all welcome to do, by the way, I posted that this morning while I was on my way here, and we didn't plan that. Ooh. (laughs) What are the odds of all the poems in the world? So about two weeks ago, the beginning of August, Reverend Ken, who's our lead minister, and I got into a little bit of an argument over text message. Now, lest you think this is about to be a really juicy story, (laughs) we were arguing over which of two images made for a superior metaphor over text. Yes, the thrilling lives of ministers. You see, I was trying to think ahead a little bit. I had some free time, and my brain turned to the fall. And I was thinking about our message series for this coming fall that will start in September and how we wanted to frame that, what we wanted to talk about here at Wellsprings starting this fall. This year, Wellsprings is actually celebrating our 10th anniversary Not the anniversary of when we started meeting on Sundays. That actually took a little bit longer. But the anniversary of when the first grant was received, the first gift was received to provide the seed funding that began the whole process of dreaming this place up 10 years ago. And I'd heard through the grapevine that originally Reverend Ken had a different idea for the name of this place. He wanted Wellsprings to be called something else. And so as I was thinking about this 10-year anniversary and I was thinking about what to talk about this fall, I remembered that and I realized I didn't know what it was. So I pulled out my phone and I texted Ken, Hey, what was the name for Wellsprings that didn't become the name for Wellsprings? He wrote back, Chrysalis. And I wrote back right away, Oh, you made the right choice. The water cycle is a much better metaphor. Now, you may not be surprised to hear that even though it's been 10 years, Reverend Ken was still not quite ready to let this go. (laughs) And so we ended up having a really fascinating discussion. And I say an argument, but a fascinating discussion about the meaning of our ministry, the meaning of our ministry here in the world. Right? There's the chrysalis. The chrysalis brings that image of spaces for transformation, right? Spaces for change, a recognition of the impermanence of everything in our lives, the constant nature of how things are always growing and moving and transforming. And the wellspring, that image of the wellspring is about returning to a source, a source that is replenished from above, from the rain, flowing down into the hills and the rivers, the ripples of connection in the well that reach out beyond ourselves. They're both beautiful images. Now, I won't get into the details of the back and forth. You could say that ultimately he won the argument because, perhaps unsurprisingly, he actually ended up taking it to a place that was so spiritually deep I couldn't actually understand his argument anymore. (laughs) I'm sure it was good. Um, Or you could say that ultimately I won because at the end of the day, this sign here says Wellsprings, right? (laughs) But I have to tell you, it was fun. 
It was a lot of fun for me to think back to the moment of inspiration for what's here now. Ten years ago, none of this was here. And thinking back for me was a lot of fun to think back to the different ways that all this could have turned out, all the different possibilities for what might have been. The other day, I got here a little bit early for a meeting with some of our leaders at Wellsprings. Because I was here early and it was a nice day, I decided to go for a walk down by the creek that we all drive over when we come in every morning. And I was thinking about this conversation and that word. So I decided to start looking in the trees and in the brush down by the water for a chrysalis. thought I might find one. Let's review our third grade biology, shall we? So this is a butterfly life cycle. It starts with eggs on a leaf, and then those eggs hatch, and they become a caterpillar, a fuzzy little guy, lots of legs that crawls around. And then one day, the caterpillar climbs onto a leaf, just like the eggs were laid on. The caterpillar climbs onto a leaf and starts to wrap itself in the leaf and also in things from its own body in materials from its own body that create a pupa or a chrysalis, the home that it will stay in for, I think it's six to eight weeks for a monarch butterfly, while it undergoes this transformation. What happens inside a chrysalis, if you've ever looked it up, a caterpillar melts. It melts. It releases enzymes that digest its own body and tissue, yeah. The article I found online says it converts itself into a rich culture medium. That means goo, (laughs) right? It becomes a thick goo. The caterpillar for its entire life so far has carried embryonic cells inside of it that once it's in that goo, develop into new things develop into new parts. It develops wings, develops new antennae. Within the chrysalis, literally the entire entire internal contents of the caterpillar, the muscles of the caterpillar, the digestive system, the heart, the nervous system, they're totally rebuilt from scratch. It's a process that consumes a tremendous amount of energy, and it produces something really beautiful. And new. Now, my guess is that if you asked a caterpillar that was having a bad day, if it wanted to go into its chrysalis, right, a caterpillar that maybe hadn't had much sleep, was working on a deadline, was on its third cup of coffee at 11 o'clock in the morning, it might go, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't have the energy for that right now. But a caterpillar doesn't have a choice. There comes a point in a caterpillar's life when the only alternative to transformation is death. So I was really itching to see one of these things. I'd actually been to a garden, Chanticleer Garden, some of you might know, in Wayne, a couple weeks before, and I'd seen a chrysalis. I'm not sure I'd ever seen one before in my life to this point, but I had this this idea now that chrysalises were just everywhere, right? So I would be able to find one. And I walked down there, and I looked around, and I didn't see it. 
And then I looked down at the ground and I saw this instead. A little baby butterfly. Now, full disclosure, that's probably a moth, right? (laughs) But how my eye read it at first glance. Oh, look, a little baby butterfly. A little baby monarch. My mind had been so intent on finding a chrysalis that I saw that as new birth. I saw the new thing that had already been born. It was already here. Our core beliefs at Wellsprings say that just as the caterpillar contains the seed of the butterfly yet to be, we each have the potential for new life within us. But sometimes instead of the seed or the potential, we each stumble upon something that's already been born. Sometimes new life has already happened to us. Our movie today and our Spirit Flicks message series is called Man on Wire. Did any of you get a chance to see it at all? A couple folks. It's a documentary that actually won the Oscar in 2008 about a wire walker, a tightrope walker. And it's a movie about a person who isn't becoming anything. He already is who he is. This is a movie about a person who has become. A man who knows his calling in life so fiercely that he is pulled along by it and is able to do incredible things because of it. This is the man that this movie is about, Philippe Pettit. He's French, in case you can't tell by his name. And he tells us a little bit about what it was like to grow up as him. He's quite a guy. He's quite a character. You can tell he was born to be an entertainer. He says his whole life he was like a little monkey, right? Ever since he was a child, he was always climbing, always trying to get up high and see things from a different perspective. As a young man, having trained on tightropes for many years, he found himself one day sitting in a dentist's office with a toothache. And he was looking through a magazine. He saw an advertisement, a magazine story, about the building of the Twin Towers in New York City. And he took out a pen and drew a line between them. For the next six and a half years of his life, he plotted how he was going to get up to the top of the Twin Towers string a tightrope between them, and walk across. This sounds like someone who maybe isn't all there, right? (laughs) What could possibly explain the desire to do something that was illegal, that was impossible? He went back to France, and he set up a training wire in a field, about three feet off the ground, that was the same distance as the distance between the two towers. Now, I can imagine trying that, right? I'm not terribly afraid of heights. If we put a tightrope right here and strung it to the back of the room, I would try that. I would take the first step onto that wire. I'd probably fall down, but I would give it a shot. He practiced so much on that wire, and he took it higher and higher and higher. 
he had the confidence to get on a wire that was 1,368 feet off the ground. That's how tall the Twin Towers are. This room is probably, the ceiling might be 30 feet tall. If I strung a wire from that beam to the back, would you get on it? No. No. (laughs) Neither would I. So he did that 45 times over. That's 1,368 feet off the ground. This ceiling times 45. And he had a choice, and he put his foot onto that wire. This is the moment that he takes that first step. I would never do this. When I watched this moment in the movie, I wasn't breathing. My jaw was wide open. Philippe's friend, Jean-Pierre, is on the other tower taking this picture. Can you imagine watching your friend, your best friend, do this? Jean-Pierre describes watching Philippe walk out on the wire and get about halfway. He says when he got about halfway, he realized that he was going to be fine, that he could do this. He says a big smile broke out on his face, and he started to just perform. Look at this. That's him lying down on the wire, 1,368 feet off the ground. This ceiling times 45. Lying down. One of Philippe's other friends, one of his accomplices in this trick that he pulled off, is being interviewed about the preparations that they went through before he did this. And he said, you know, the attitude was, we're going to die, we're going to live. This calling had so captured them, they felt like they had no choice. Just like the caterpillar who had no choice just to live or die. Here at Wellsprings, we've actually always been a little bit like this. We've always been a group of people who are living on the edge. From our birth, our answer to the question of why is actually the same as Philippe's that we're here to inspire. We want people to live charged full of the charge of the soul. We want people to live with the breath of spirit inside them. We know and we've seen here in this community that when we watch people live into their dreams, it releases us into our own. That each of our stories can heal and can save another person. Now, different religious traditions have different words for the source of our inspiration. Christians call it amazing grace or saving love. Buddhists call it loving kindness or the root of compassion Muslims have 99 names for it, God in all things, 
Humanists might call it truth or virtue or the common good, whatever that thing is that inspires us, that gets us up in the morning and pulls us forward. But it's always understood in every tradition as a gift. It's not something we create so much as something that we tap into. It's a thing that we choose to either resist or follow as it calls to us. We don't make it on our own. It is an instinct, just as sure as we are sure to be born and die, just as sure as the caterpillar transforms into that chrysalis and the new butterfly is born, just as sure as the water cycles up from the well into the sky and down in the rain into the food that we eat, the stream that provides our water and into our own bodies. It's nature. Inspiration is already here. It's a gift. When we open ourselves to it, when we live in faithfulness to that gift that's already here, we can break into new life. I was curious and drawn to preach about this movie because it did describe something that I would never personally do ever in a million years. In fact, I uh, actually wanted to preach about a different documentary that it turns out wasn't released yet called Sunshine Superman that's about base jumping, something I'd even less ever do. And I wanted to do that because sometimes when we see someone doing something incredible and inspirational that has nothing to do with what we want to do, right? Nothing to do with our own calling. There's a different kind of freedom that can come from that. When I watch Philippe walk across that wire, I'm not comparing myself to him. I'm not trying to pick up tricks and tips for my own high wire walk one day. No. Watching him takes me completely out of my own efforts and my own shoulds and my own oughts. It's a different kind of freedom. It's a different kind of inspiration so that I can more clearly see how that breath of life, that ruach of God, that living spirit that animates creation is moving. And I can begin to think, well, if he can do something so crazy... What can I do? What first step has already been given to me as a gift? Where have I gone looking for a chrysalis, a change, a place where I could transform, and have actually stumbled upon new birth already? Where have I found a baby butterfly in my life? When people get ready for a baby, for a new baby, there are all kinds of tricks and tips out there, right? I know that many of you are parents. You've seen the list of things that you should do, that you ought to do. You can Google getting ready for baby checklist and find a billion of, th- of things like this. These kinds of things are halfway useful, according to all my friends who've had babies, but 
mostly they're pretty ludicrous, right? <laughs> right? They're kind of, if you think about it, the dumbest thing that anyone has ever made. <laughs> Are you preparing to bring an entirely new, fragile human being into this world by any chance? Are you about to assume the awesome responsibility of raising up a person with a mind and a heart and free will and destructive powers and half of your own genetic material and a hold on your own soul that will crush and destroy and reform you, parents? (laughs) Don't forget to clean the house first. (laughs) We make checklists for stuff like this. And they are halfway useful. Sure, it's a good idea to clean the house and to buy 10 different kinds of baby towels. But really, nothing can prepare us. When we encounter what's already been born, no matter how many checklists we've checked off, we often find ourselves thinking, somewhere in the back of our minds, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this. Or I thought I'd have more time. Or I want to take this more slowly. And yet that new thing is here, whether we like it or not. I have a lot of friends right now who are having babies for the first time. And they've all said to me, sure, you know, you have nine months, give or take, to prepare. But part of that nine months process is actually realizing that there's no hope you'll be ready. (laughs) There's no hope you'll be done in time. You don't get to check off all these boxes and then say, okay, now water, now's a good time to break, right? That's not how it works. And in fact, what they tell me more often than not is that the opposite is true. That their babies and their children are actually checking off those boxes for them as they grow. The new life that they've brought into the world is offering them something they never could have done on their own. They say things like, she's teaching me to slow down, finally. Or he's making me realize how much pressure I put on myself. Or they're helping me begin to forgive my father. Our children are a gift. The new life that we bring into the world heals us somehow. Not of our own doing. We think we have to complete our metamorphosis and have it all figured out before we're worthy of the gift. But we don't. We don't. Philippe Pettit wasn't perfect. He hurt some of his friends. He broke trust with his wife. He did something amazing, but he wasn't a perfect hero. I don't believe that there are perfect heroes. There are only people who are alive. People who are willing to grow and change and receive the gifts that come to them, even though they are not ready and not perfect. The Quaker teacher Parker Palmer says, is the life I'm living big enough for the life that wants to live in me? What wants to live in you? What wants to live in each of us? 
Where are we called to live or die? And what new life could be released if we trust and live in faithfulness to our gifts? Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Spirit of all that moves, God of our living, breathing souls, holiness that we find in the sunshine, in the grace of each new day, in the chance to start again and again, in the chance for redemption that comes with every day we wake up. without having to do anything, without having to be anything, perfect or ready. Help us to trust that we're here to offer something to the world. That everything that we do connects us with each other. That even when we feel unprepared, we can be enough for someone else by the grace of the gift in every moment. Holy One, for these prayers and for the prayers that each of these people carries silently on their hearts this morning, we say amen.